Good morning. If you'd please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to be taking our study this morning from verses 1 through 11 there in 1 Thessalonians 5. That's page 987 if you're using a pew Bible. Uh, so if you've been with us on Sunday nights and we've been studying through the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you've not had that opportunity, then uh, don't have any fear then I, because I think that uh, this discussion this morning will not be out of context for you because I'll set the context for you. Essentially, at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, what Paul has just finished doing is he has just finished exhorting these new Thessalonian Christians who were faithful to God because they had recently lost brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Imagine the pain and the fear that they would have had. But at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul comforts them by telling them about the day when Jesus would return from heaven and he would raise the dead in Christ. But now as we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul continues by speaking of his theme of Jesus' return, something that we've seen throughout 1 Thessalonians, the theme of Jesus' return. And he talks about how uh, Jesus' return is not only going to be a day of great comfort and great victory, but he also speaks about how Jesus' return is going to be a day of great judgment. And he really asks the questions that people have been answered. He answers the questions that people have been trying to answer for centuries. When will Jesus return and how can we prepare for his coming? Though it's clear in the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 that the Thessalonians understood that Jesus' return would come at an unexpected time, a time that they would not know, Paul writes about this because he knows that our understanding about the timing of Jesus' return and whether or not we prepare for his unexpected return is vital to how we will be seen on the day of judgment. It has eternal consequences. But let's be real about this. This letter was written nearly 2,000 years ago, and it was over, it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus promised that he would return one day. Is this discussion for us really relevant today? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Is he really coming back? I think that's something that's really important for us to consider. This whole idea that Jesus is coming back, and we do need to be anticipating his return. And I really don't think that there could be a more relevant discussion for us today, because if we're honest, uh, thinking about the imminent return of Jesus and the timing of Jesus' return and talking about how Jesus is coming soon is not something that really fills our thoughts and our discussions too often today, is it? And I believe that can affect the way we live today if that's not something that we keep in our minds, that Jesus' return is imminent. And so as we consider this passage's discussion today in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 12, I'm hoping that this discussion of Jesus' return will help us prepare for Jesus' return. And I'm also hoping that our discussion of Jesus' return will cause us to anticipate this day with hope and not be fearful of this day if we are true children of light. So go ahead and notice with me again verses 1 through 
verses 1 through 3 of 1 Thessalonians, and let's see how Paul here talks about the confidence of the Thessalonians, but the destruction that will happen upon the secure. Notice verses 1 through 3. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Though Paul has been speaking about the comfort of Jesus' return, uh, Jesus' return is now spoken of as a day that will also bring about great destruction. This phrase here in verse 2, the day of the Lord, is really used throughout Scripture to refer to different points in time where God would pour out His wrath against unrighteous nations. This is seen uh, in nations like Babylon, Egypt, Israel, and places like Isaiah 13, Ezekiel 30, Malachi 4. All these places where the day of the Lord is proclaimed to come upon a nation. I say this because we ought not read the word day of the Lord and just automatically assume that that's the day when Jesus will return, will literally return from heaven. Though Paul does employ this language here that's used throughout the Old Testament and really throughout the Bible to speak of a day where God is going to bring judgment against the unrighteous. And there are some people who do come here and they read this passage and they say, well, since it refers to the day of the Lord, that must actually mean that that's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that was fulfilled in AD 70 since uh, other passages throughout the Old Testament refer to that day. But we already noticed this last Sunday night, and if you weren't here with us, it's okay. All you have to do is go back and look at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4 and see that the context is very clear about what Paul is talking about. Paul is clearly talking about the day when Jesus will literally return from heaven and literally gather literally gather all of his elect, all of his children to be home with him and literally destroy all of those who are not prepared for that day. It will be a day of great victory, but it will also be a day of ultimate vengeance against the unrighteous. And though the Thessalonians were prepared for this day, Paul makes it very clear in verse 3 that this unexpected timing of Jesus' return is not something that many are anticipating. He says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, you might hear that language and think, well, where have I heard that before? Well, Peter uses this language in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he refers to Jesus' return. Jesus also uses this language in Matthew 24 to actually speak of the destruction of Jerusalem because the timing of that judgment against Jerusalem would also be quite unexpected, wouldn't it? And Jesus concludes that discussion by saying, The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Just think about that for a moment. It's really a horrific thing to realize. There is a day when God will reveal his greatest judgment against the wicked, and we don't even know when that day is. Paul paints the picture of how horrific that idea is right here in verse 3. He says, it's going to be like labor pains that come upon a pregnant woman. That's pretty picturesque, isn't it? 
It's pretty scary also, isn't it? The judgment, the greatest judgment of this world that has ever, that this world has ever known is going to come like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. It is going to come when you least expect it, when you are least prepared. That's a pretty scary thought. That's frightful to me. The Bible frequently uses this language of how labor pains seizing a woman it describes what it's going to be like when God's judgment comes, whether he's talking about the judgment of a nation or whether he's talking about the judgment of the world here. And what's interesting is that though people have at times been able to escape from various troubles in their life, Paul says at the end of verse 3, no one will escape from this judgment. There is no escape. But what's interesting to me is that Paul has this whole discussion with people he says are fully prepared for that day. Why? Why in the world would Paul come in here in 1 Thessalonians to these faithful Christians who he says clearly in verses 1 through 2 and on in this passage that they are prepared for this day? Why would he come and describe the great fear and the sudden timing that would come upon those who are unprepared? Why would he have this discussion? I think it must be because he desires that they remain prepared and it is because Christians can eventually get into a spot in their lives where they leave the state of being prepared for Jesus' return. He wants them to not be these people. And so then we must ask here in verse 3 as we consider these people who are caught by, this, by Jesus' return, by destruction in a terrible way, what mistake did they make? What mistake did these people make to get themselves in this situation? Uh, speaking about a judgment that God has been very open about. Why in the world are they unprepared for this day? Notice the beginning of verse 3, how Paul describes the words and thoughts of these people who are overtaken by sudden destruction. It says, they are living in peace, and security. Peace and security are the thoughts and the words of those who will meet eternal ruin on that day. Just think about the insanity of this. God has promised a day of terrible wrath, and there are actually people in this world who have the gall to falsely declare that there is peace and security. Jesus' return and Jesus' judgment is imminent, and people are saying, peace and security, peace and security. You know what's interesting about this is this is actually a problem we see throughout Scripture. But what's scary is that this problem seen throughout Scripture is not a problem that God accuses the world of having. It's a problem that he accuses his own people and his own religious leaders of having. There are many passages like this. Just consider first, uh, just one passage, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verses 14 through 15, as he speaks about the people, the religious leaders of that day in Israel. He says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. 
Passages like this are seen all over the prophets. Ezekiel chapter 13 and verse 10 is another example of this. Essentially, because of the sin of the people, God came in, His patience was through, and He says, judgment is coming if you don't change. And there were people in Israel and Judah, instead of reacting with great reverence, sorrow for sin, and a passionate pursuit of righteousness, instead they walked around acting as if they had not sinned, and walked around living their lives in security and peace, and acted like judgment was not coming one day. Do we ever do this? Do we ever live life in a way, day to day, living and speaking and thinking in a way as if God has not appointed a day when he will pour out great wrath upon the unrighteous and the unprepared? It's really so easy to do this, isn't it? It's really so easy to get trapped by a lack of thinking about eternity. It's so easy to get sick of constantly reminding ourselves, okay, Scott, uh, what you do today, what you do in this moment, what you do in this hour, what you do this year has eternal consequences. It is really quite easy to get very sick of reminding ourselves of that and think, no, I've been working so hard. I've been pursuing holiness. I, can I just relax for a bit and stop thinking about these times? There's peace, there's security. You know, this is really so easy for us to do in the U.S., to to think, speak, and live like sudden wrath isn't coming. It's really easy for us in the United States because we are surrounded by so much comfort and so much prosperity, and we are surrounded by people who just tell us to chill out. It's okay to pursue the comforts, riches, and idols of this world. It's okay to construct a nice life for yourself. There is peace and security. Stop acting like everyone's actions has eternal consequences. It's okay. I really noticed how this pervading sense of peace has really taken control of our world as I was traveling this past weekend. And my grandpa uh, died, and so I was up in traveling in Memphis. I was on these airplanes and stuff like that, looking over cities. And I had time in the terminals where I was looking at people and stuff like that, just kind of watching the people that went by. And it, it really struck me how much this idea of peace and security has overtaken the world, and it's just controlling us. People are going about their everyday lives, walking around, pursuing wealth, pursuing riches, pursuing, pursuing the, the things of this world as if, there's not, as if there's not judgment coming. There's total cluelessness. We just walk around and we're completely absent-minded to the spiritual reality around us. As I was looking over the cities, I thought, and I saw, you know, we build these huge buildings, and I was in the Tampa airport, and I was looking around all the art and the expansiveness of the building, how high the ceilings and columns were, you know, and, and all the art that was everywhere, that all the time we spend. And I look at myself, and I look at my closet, and I look at how I live. And we dress so nicely. We pursue so so much in this world and make, try to make sure that everything in this world is aesthetically pleasing. 
And none of that is inherently wrong in of itself. You know, it's, art is not inherently wrong. Having nice clothes is not inherently wrong. It's okay to experience God's blessings. But think about it like this. Think about what this world would look like. Think about what our cities would look like, what our homes would look like, what our closets would look like if the entire world globally, everyone knew and was fully aware of our selfish unrighteousness and thought about that with respect to the fact that Jesus could come at any moment and pour out wrath upon the world. Would our homes look the same way that they look now? Would our cities be so extravagant? Would we be pursuing wealth and riches and peace and security in a physical way so much if the entire world lived like imminent destruction could come upon them at any moment? We would not live in such a way. Only people who are in peace and security live and think in this way. Again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with us experiencing God's blessings. But the indulgence that we seek so often does not characterize people who are filled with thoughts of a desire to be ready for an imminent return of Christ. Sometimes that doesn't characterize us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will come like a thief in the night when we least expect it. Are we living like that is the case? Many are. Many are pursuing this. And I want to urge you, do that even more. Live like Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. But so often we can fall into this trap of treating the Bible, treating purity, treating service, treating working together with a congregation so casually. You know, we don't fool God when we do this. Let's not fall into the trap that so many of God's people in the past have fallen into, in past judgments. The people of Israel lived like judgment wasn't coming by relaxing. How did that work out for them? Well, Judgment came upon these people living in relaxation, and sheer terror and panic overtook them. There was a judgment upon that city like had never overtaken the world before, like had never overtaken a nation before. Let's not allow that to be us in the day when zero people can escape. Let us not allow that to be us. And so in order for us to be prepared for that and not let that be us, I think it would be helpful if right now in our minds we kind of set an alarm. Let's set alarms off in our minds. And what I mean by this is if we sin, meaning like if we gossip or we lust or we break out in anger or we pursue indulgence and we try to act like it's not a big deal and we don't see the seriousness of pursuing immediate reconciliation with the Lord, let that alarm go off. Because what we are doing in that moment when we don't see the need to pursue immediate reconciliation with the Lord is we are trying to proclaim peace and security to our minds when there is no peace and security. If we find ourselves in a time of our lives where we don't feel the pressure 
to pursue great spiritual growth and we don't feel the need to work really hard for the Lord and try to serve other people and serve our Lord with all our heart, if we don't feel that pressure to grow, let that alarm go off because we are trying to live in peace and security when there is no peace and security. Judgment is imminent. Set those alarms in your mind to when you look around and you think, well, life is just easy. Life is just great. I wish it would continue on like this right now to where I just only experience God's physical blessings here. Even though there's unrighteousness in my life, if we feel comfortable and we feel secure at that stage in our lives, Man, let an alarm go off to remind us, what am I doing? The day of the Lord will come when I am thinking peace and security, when there is no peace and security. If we will adopt this way of living, it will be so helpful. Because Christians, our day of peace, our day of ultimate rest is not now. It's not time to slacken the pace. And so if we will adopt this way of living and stop acting like judgment isn't imminent, then I think Paul has great words of comfort for us in verses 4 through 12. Go ahead and notice verses 4 through 5 again with me as Paul talks about the hope that children of light have. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So though Paul warns against people in peace and security, it's interesting that Paul goes on and he speaks with great confidence about Jesus' return with respect to these Thessalonian Christians. He says, you're ready. The day of the Lord, verse 4, would not surprise these Thessalonians like a day, like a thief in the night. You know, as soon as I read that, I thought, man, I want to have what these Thessalonians have. I don't want to be surprised by Jesus coming in the clouds like it's a thief in the night. Nobody wants to wait and live their lives waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for pains as a, upon a pregnant woman to, to just seize them at any moment. Nobody wants to wait knowing that a thief is going to break in at any moment when you least expect it. And Paul says these Thessalonians weren't living like that. They did not, they would not be surprised when Jesus came as if Jesus was a thief in the night. How? How could they have this? Well, Paul gives us the answer there in verses 4 to 5. The Thessalonians did not live in darkness. Paul confidently declares that these Christians were all children of life, of light. In past days when I was not living faithfully to the Lord, though I had accepted the grace of God in baptism, uh, there were times where I walked in darkness. I did not live right. And it was always scary when we talked about the return of Jesus, when people talked about how Jesus could come at any time, because I knew it would be like a thief in the night. It would be a scary day for me. I sat there hoping that Jesus would not return because I knew my life was not characterized by radical redemption. But the Thessalonians show us here that we do not have to live like that 
We do not have to live in fear like that. Though we do not know the timing of Jesus' return, Christians, if we live faithfully to Jesus Christ, abandon our idols, and live faithfully to our merciful Lord, we will not be surprised when Jesus comes from heaven as if he's a thief in the night. We will be surprised, rather, that the consummation of our hope has finally come. Our greatest longing and our greatest hope will be there. Jesus will not be a thief. He will be the bringer of glad tidings. He will be the one that we have been waiting for our entire lives. We will not be characterized in that day by regret, but by tears of joy because of how much we have anticipated that day. And so here's the obvious question for us. Do the words of verse 4 characterize us? How does it make you feel to consider that Jesus could return right now? Is it a fearful thing like the thought of a thief breaking into your house right now while you're gone? (laughs) Or is Jesus' return a joyful thought that we hopefully anticipate? The answer to that question should tell us a lot about where we are spiritually right now. If Jesus' return is something we are afraid of right now, We've not been living like Jesus' imminent return is imminent. We've not been living like Jesus is coming soon. And you might say, well, I'm not sure. How can I tell? Well, look at verse 5 and ask, does this characterize you? Paul describes them as children of light, children of the day, not of the night or of the darkness. So here's the quick test. If our thoughts and our words and our actions were to be completely exposed right here, right now, for everyone and for our Lord to see, what would God find? Darkness or light? Would he find that our greatest joys in life are the things that we can see right here on earth? What we really crave in life is more money, more toys, a nicer house, greater success, more lustful living. Our words are spoken in secret. Our words that we speak in secret are hurtful to other people. Or, if our actions and our hearts were poured out before all and before our Lord, would God find that our greatest joys in this life are things of light? We crave to find more ways to serve people. We crave worship. We cannot wait to readjust our priorities to worship more and study with brothers more. The thought of Jesus coming is sweet rest to our souls, not regret because we wish to change how we've been living. What is it for you? Is the content of your heart darkness or light? That will give the answer as to whether or not the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night or the day of the Lord will surprise us with great and awesome hope. There's a great contrast there. And if we see that we are living and walking in darkness, then we've already been given the exhortation. There in verse 3, it's time to stop acting like there is peace and security when God's judgment is imminent. It's time to start acting like Jesus is actually coming soon because he is. It's time to cut out the darkness and start pursuing God in prayer Pursue God in his word. Pursue God by becoming a servant to other people and make that our greatest joy in life. It's time to become a servant who gives to others indeed generously and puts all of our hope in the life to come. 
a servant who desires to counsel and study with those who are here that need to be built up. It's time to change our way of thinking. It's time to live in a different way. But if we see that we are light, what's interesting here is that Paul sees that these people are of light. And he gives them exhortations. As we talked about a few weeks ago on Sunday night, Paul doesn't come into people who are doing really well and say, you need nothing. He comes into people who are doing really well and says, do more, do more. And so notice verses 6 through 10 with me. He says, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of love, faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, and build one another up, just as you are doing." And so if we see that, yes, right now I am ready for Jesus' return, then Paul gives us what I see here, three exhortations for us to do to stay prepared for Jesus' return. First, he says there in verses 6 to 7, keep awake and be sober. He says, you know, the world, they get drunk at night. The world, they sleep at night. Don't do that. I think what he's calling for is for us to stop acting like our sins are hidden and stop being, stop putting on rose-colored glasses when we look in the mirror and start having, so, having sober minds about ourselves. When we look in the mirror, let's be real. Let's be sober-minded. Let's be clear and alert about who we are and where we are in our walk with God. Let's not fall asleep. Frankly, it's scary to me to talk to Christians who are never vulnerable with us, who are, never, who are always acting like they never have any mistakes. You know, we all sinned. We all sin. And the people who seek to hide their mistakes and the people who act like they're perfect aren't sober-minded. They're acting like their drunkenness is at night and they're hiding it and that they're okay with hiding it and like it's not really there they aren't clear-headed about their own souls they're hiding sins in darkness it may sound odd but i love it so much when a christian confesses sin because it shows to me that they have sensitivity and alertness and they're awake and they see their spiritual condition, and they see their mistakes, and they see, I'm not where I want to be. I desire to grow, and I need to confess my sins instead of hiding them in darkness and acting like they don't exist. And so let's be people of the day. Let's be people of the light. Let's not hide our sins in darkness. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with our Lord. Let's be honest with our brothers and sisters about where we are spiritually and keep awake and be alert so that we do not fall off and think that because we hide our sins, God will not see them when Jesus returns. The second thing Paul tells us to do is in verse 8. He says, put on the breast, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Brent will speak more fully about this idea of the armor of God in Ephesians later on this fall. But I think it's so important for us to understand that Paul here calls us to faith, love, and hope, not because these are simply requirements for salvation, but because these are things that are armor. These are things that are protecting us from the wiles of Satan. These are things that are protecting us getting us ready for the day to come. We must see how pursuing growth in this life, pursuing more faith, pursuing more love, pursuing more hope, is something that is actually going to be like a breastplate that protects us when doubt and fear and sin attack us. We must see how hope is like a helmet guarding us from the doubt that might overtake us and bring us down into sin. Paul knew, what's really interesting is that Paul knew that these Christians were already filled with faith, hope, and love, but he called them to more faith, hope, and love. Christians, faith, hope, and love is not something that we just have. It's something we grow in. It's something we pursue. And so these lessons where we talk about more specifically how to grow in faith, hope, and love, don't think, well, I've got faith in hard times. Think, how can I have more faith in hard times? Well, I love my brothers. Think, I need to see how I can sacrificially pursue more love for my brothers. Well, I've got hope. I know that Jesus is going to come, and that's where my hope is. Man, make that your greatest hope in the entire world, because that will prepare us for when Jesus comes. The whole idea of what Paul is talking about here is if we will put on this armor, the great thing is that we won't have to wait for the Lord to come like a thief in the night. We will have the great and awesome comfort of getting to wait for the Lord, knowing that He is our greatest hope and knowing that our salvation is secure. And that's really where he goes on in verses 9 through 11. He says in verses 9 through 11, essentially, you're not destined for wrath. You are destined for great, great salvation. So encourage one another with those words. Christians, we need to remind one another that this day is coming, that this day is imminent, that our hope is here, and that will build up the faith, hope, and love. If we remind each other every day, if we change the culture in our congregations, change the culture in our families, stop acting like, like Jesus is not coming, even though it's been 2,000 years, it could happen in an instant right now. And we need to be ready for that and be pursuing that, praying for that, singing about that. Uh, I talked about this before in another lesson, but at the end of Revelation, I just love what John says. Uh, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And you know how John responds to that? He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. We need this renewed passion in our families, communities, and in this church for Jesus' return. We need to remind one another in our conversations, Jesus is coming soon. Our salvation is near. We need to talk about it in our prayers. Ask for God to come soon. Ask for God to come and save us. This is the thought. This is the ideas that filled the Christians there. This is why they were able to turn away from sin. This is why they were able to be sanctified and so excited. So excited for God to come one day. So excited to serve other people. So excited to turn away from idols because they knew their salvation was near. 
Let's do these three things. Let's do these three things where we are alert and sober, where we are awake, where we're pursuing faith, hope, and love, growing in these things, and where we're talking to one another, talking about the day of the Lord, changing the way we talk, not acting like it's not coming, but begging for Christ to come quickly. Because too often we slumber, and too often we grow lax in our pursuit of holiness. You know, if we're, if we're begging for Christ to return soon, then that will change the way we pursue holiness. Because if Christ is coming soon and we talk about him coming soon, then that's going to change my next battle against lust, isn't it? That's going to change my next battle about, do I want to waste my time today or do I want to serve other people? Because I've been praying for Jesus to come soon. And if he's going to come soon and answer my prayer, then I'd better be ready for that day when he comes and appears. And we ought to be warned. If we're not strongly desiring Jesus' return now, and if we can't pray for him to come and return now, that ought to wake us up to realize we've been living in security and peace when there is no security and peace. And we're not ready. And so let's pursue that day. The timing of the Lord Jesus, well, he's going to come at any time. He's going to come like a thief in the night. And I simply want all of us to not be surprised like Jesus is a thief in the night, but be surprised by the consummation of our awesome hope. And so as a final exhortation, Jesus' return from heaven is imminent upon us. Let's actually live like it. Let's live like it, Christians. If there's any way that we can help you in your walk with God, talk to us. If there's any way that we can help you pursue this faith, love, and hope and overcome the idols and overcome the sin of this world and be prepared for Jesus' return, we can do that with you today. If you've already come to Jesus, then we want to exhort you to get out of the sleep, get out of the slumber. But if you've not come to Jesus, then you can come to him in a simple way. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ by getting in the waters of baptism and Jesus will wipe away your sins and your sins will be atoned for and you can walk out of here knowing that if Jesus returns tonight, when you sleep, you'll be ready. If you don't have that confidence, why wait? If there's any way we can help you in your walk with God, come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.